Hello, everyone. My name is Joanne Lockwood, and I am your host for the Inclusion Bites podcast. In this series, I will be interviewing a number of amazing people and simply having a conversation around the subject of inclusion, belonging, and generally making the world a better place for everyone to thrive. If you'd like to join me in the future, then please do drop me a line to joe.lockwood at cchangehappen.co.uk. That's s-double-e-changehappen.co.uk. And of course, you better catch up with all of these shows on iTunes, Spotify, and the usual places. So plug in your headphones, grab a decaf, and let's get going. Today is episode 13 with the title, How to Simplify Inclusion by Focusing on Behaviors. And I have the absolute honor and privilege to be joined by Jackie Handy. I first met Jackie at an annual convention of the Professional Speaking Association a few years back, and of course, many times since. Jackie describes herself as a speaker who trains global businesses on the topics of diversity, inclusion, belonging, and leadership. I asked Jackie to describe her superpower, and she said to be able to speak people's languages in such a way to create simple, clear understanding around a topic. So hello, Jackie. Welcome to the show. Hi, Joe. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. Yes, and we've had some technical difficulties this morning, but I think we've persevered. <laughs> we've made it. <laughs> I do hope um, so. Tell me, tell me then, um, how do you simplify inclusion by focusing on behaviours? Well, yeah, I mean, it's um, it's something that I think it sort of does what it says on the tin, but um, I think we all know that in order to become more inclusive, we need to focus on the language that we use and the behaviours that we demonstrate each and every day with everybody in our networks. And and what I found is when I'm speaking to organizations about their diversity and inclusion strategies, um, so many of them are really focusing on getting people through unconscious bias training and potentially discrimination awareness training. And whereas those things are incredibly useful and uh, a fundamental part of the diversity and inclusion journey, I actually feel that sometimes people find that that puts a bit of a sort of negative spin on how they feel about the topic because of this discomfort it creates. And so the way I see it, if we're able to focus on predominantly the proactive behavioral steps we can take to be more inclusive in the actions and behaviors and the language that we use every day, then that creates a much more positive framework around the topic of inclusion generally. I completely agree. Um, We all know that there's millions and millions of pounds, euros and shekels spent around the world on on UB training. And you're right, evidence says that it's not moving the needle at all. So what do you think is actually going wrong with the training? Is it because we're just teaching people about um, biases and and we're not actually giving them any outcomes or, or real sort of practical steps? I mean, what's your thoughts? Well, my thoughts are really that um, – you know, you somebody walks into a room. Just, just sort of imagine this. I mean, you and I, we're 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 familiar with the space. We understand the space. We understand all the benefits associated with it. But for somebody that's just being introduced to diversity and inclusion, and their first experience of that is to walk into a room and be told that they're actually biased. Um, 
I think that can feel very uncomfortable. And and indeed, I've experienced that when I've been asked to deliver unconscious bias training by organizations where I've had people say, well, I just don't agree because, you know, I'm not biased. Um, and so then you've got that defensive mechanism and that fragility coming through. But also you, you'll perhaps have people that were actually quite excited about the whole topic and suddenly they feel really ashamed that, you know, they've, they've got a bias when actually they thought they were quite an inclusive individual. So as I say, I don't think that there's a problem having unconscious bias training as part of an ongoing journey towards diversity and inclusion in, in our society and in our organizations. But I'm not sure it works well as an opening gambit, <laughs> you know, when, um, when actually I think we all know that, you know, as Simon Sinek famously said, start with why. And, you know, we, we all know that when we understand more about the, the why to something and how that benefits not only ourselves, but our organizations and our society in general, then we're probably much more likely to then start that journey from a positive standpoint. Um, and, and, and then a little later down that journey are able to, um, you know, understand more about our biases, but importantly, why those biases happen. And then, as you say, give them something to take away and do differently on the back of that. Mm. So I imagine right now there's, there's probably people screaming at the podcast going, well, I, I do unconscious bias training and I get great results and I'm really positive. Or there's maybe some organizations out there listening in saying, well, we've just invested in unconscious bias training for all our staff and it's gone really, really well. So I think we probably appreciate that not all unconscious bias training is created equal and, and there are some very good trainers out there, some very good programs that do really work. Yeah. And I think what we do is we, we call them unconscious bias training, but really they're more than that, aren't they? Well, absolutely. And, you know, this is this isn't a, a, a standpoint to say, oh, you know, all, all trainers doing it are rubbish. You know, <laughs> I've also delivered unconscious bias training for organisations and had some good results, and I'm sure you have too. I think the point that I'm really making is that if people really want to move the dial on inclusion, um, I mean, unconscious bias training has been around for a long time now, and yet the dial is slow to move on inclusion. So why is that if unconscious bias training is so good? And I think, you know, one of the things I've said is that um, is is that it could cause um, a, a lack of engagement, uh, a disappointment, in fact, from delegates or some delegates doing it. You know, this is not a sweeping statement for everybody, but for some. Um, and, uh, and and the second thing to say is that, as we know, in isolation, in fact, any training in isolation is is not particularly effective, and unconscious bias training is no exception. So it, it has to be part of a holistic um, approach to embedding inclusion and inclusive actions and behaviors within organizations as a whole. I completely agree. Um, I think we've seen over the last, what, since lockdown, we've seen a lot of um, things going on in the news about how uh, people are readjusting to working remotely, working from home, work, working in different situations, people's mental health. We've also seen uh, the, the Black Lives Matter movement come to the forefront on everyone's television screens. And all of these things are highlighting that it's not just, it's not really bias that is really the problem we're trying to fix. It's about systemic oppression, systemic discrimination. It's about how cultures are built for the privileged and mm -hmm. 
the less privileged intersectional individuals have less privilege and less power. Right. And that isn't really being addressed by Uncle Spice training, from what I understand. Exactly. And, uh, and I'm glad you raised it because it was a point I wanted to mention too, is that as, as we know, so often unconscious bias training doesn't refer to intersectionality. So it's, it's very much referring to um, underrepresented or minority groups um, as a single uh, element, if you like. And, um, and, and we know that identity isn't a single element for anybody, really, is it? So um, I think that that can cause and create um, issues and, um, I guess, a disengagement. Um, also, uh, I think you raised the good point about privilege and uh, the systemic nature of our society. Um, and I think, you know, you and I know that privilege isn't just about white privilege, but privilege takes many, many forms. And again, I think it's it's a almost a more effective exercise, actually, to highlight our privileges or lack thereof in order to demonstrate how they in turn our experiences, our cultural backgrounds, our, um, uh, our, our privileged or less privileged uh, condition in society basically brings us to a place where we are going to have more or less bias towards other people. And, and it all forms part of that uh, complete approach, if you like. And I think, therefore, one thing in isolation is less effective than a whole combination of uh, interventions. I hate the term interventions when it comes to in- diversity and inclusion, by the way, because I think it's an ongoing journey. But, you know, if we, for want of a better term, um, I think there has to be a collaborative journey approach um, to to really committing to uh, inclusion and as as we know it's it's not enough to uh to say um i i'm not racist or i'm not homophobic or or, or i'm uh, not against women or whatever whatever it, it it's not enough anymore to, to it never has been enough just to say those things but actually we have to be proactive in um in our allyship to be true allies and, and, I, and I think, you know, the, the George Floyd um, uh, killing uh, has really, certainly from the Black Lives Matter movement, has really brought that to the forefront of people's attention, that it is just not enough to say, I'm not racist or I don't believe I'm racist. It, that is, uh, it needs another step whereby people are stepping out and saying, and this is what I'm doing proactively about that, uh, to be anti-racist. And yeah, I think I think yeah. that's that's just highlighting what needs to happen. One of the things we were chatting about before we went on air mm. was around this uh, concept of being deliberate and proactive in your inclusion. And you're right in what you say there. By being passively not racist is not the same as being anti-racist in an active way, is it? Absolutely. And, um, you know, one of the things I talk about from my own experience, um, of course, different experience, but, but my own experience is the fact that 
all I all I really wanted at certain points were was somebody to stand up for me, um, somebody to take my side, to fight my corner, to challenge the people who were bullying me, and um, and, and we're reminded of this the passive nature of inclusion. I use that in inverted commas. Um, you know, it, it, again in the uh, in the Black Lives Movement uh, Matter movement because. Um, I, I've been reading a book, a, a great book, and I was talking to you about this prior, but it's called Me and White Supremacy, and it's by Leila Saad. And it's a great book that it, it's very reflective. Um, it's quite a hard read at times because it really challenges your um your white privileges, um, but it also explains the terminology in great detail. But it gets you reflecting on so many facets of the way in which you deal with racism and understand racism in society. And uh, it, it goes deep enough to say, well, how do you engage with in conversations around racism with your family and with your friends? And there, there are details in there about, you know, um, Perhaps somebody of an older generation in your in your family has uh, been somebody that uh, has uh, made racist remarks or racist comments or racist jokes in the past, and how have you challenged that? And it it, it really got me thinking because you know as somebody that that is very very passionate about inclusion in all its forms, um, you know you you don't really want to admit that you've ever just let that go. Um, and, you know, often with our nearest and dearest, we, we do, we're more, we're more tolerant and accepting of, you know, their, their biases overt or otherwise. Um, and yet, you know, as I was saying to you earlier, it's those people that really we need to be having those deep and meaningful conversations with to challenge those belief systems, because just because it might've been acceptable 20, 30, 40 years ago, certainly doesn't mean it's acceptable now and really deep in their hearts those people realize that so i think mm. they're ongoing conversations to 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 really give us the courage not in a and i use this in the the sort of uh, in the racism battle if you like for for anti-racism in our society i don't think in a, a sort of white saviorist um uh, term and to, to make out that, you know, oh, I'm the only white person and I'm here to, to act on behalf of all white people to, to save the day because it just doesn't work that way. But, but to acknowledge that, you know, e even when we work in the field, there is always so much more we can learn. And, and by honoring that vulnerability, I think is, is a really good first step to saying, you know, we, we want to walk that walk and we, we acknowledge there is more to do. And personally, I'm taking ownership to do that. And I'd like to bring others on the journey with me. Yeah, I mean, obviously, we're seasoned D&I professionals, some might say. Um, and we struggle sometimes uh, being able to have conversations with people, being able to challenge people, yeah. because it, it can take some personal bravery as well to be mm -hmm. able to stand up to, to hearing something. You, you may at certain times put yourself in a situation of danger where you stand mm -hmm. up maybe in public, or you may, you may find yourself being victimized by mm -hmm. calling it out and someone sort of like challenging you back. Uh, uh, so, for people who are maybe not in the DNI space, not used to having these conversations, mm -hmm. what can they do to, to become comfortable doing this? Mm -hmm. I mean, gosh, great question. And, and funnily enough, um, 
you know, a couple of the behaviors that I uh, work with people to focus on are vulnerability and courageousness, you know, because uh, as we know, thanks to uh, Brené Brown and many other uh, authors and speakers in that field, but vulnerability and courage do go hand in hand. And, um, and, and in, in hand with that, you'll see how all these behaviors that I talk about really intertwine with one another. There has to be that creation of safety in that environment. So, you know, if we are, um, it almost needs a commitment of everyone to take small steps. And I'm a big believer in small steps. Let's not try and run before we can walk. Let's not try and be, um, you know, the expert in everything uh, immediately or even ever because humanity evolves. Right. Um, but but let's think about um, how we can start those conversations from a place of I don't know, but I want to know. And, mm-hmm. and, and, and I think that when we do that from a, uh, a place of vulnerability, but with positive intention, um, especially in our workplaces, um, you know, we are more likely to find that there is a, um, a, a buy into, to at least starting those conversations. But I think we have to have, Charters, if you want to call it that, um, a code of ethics, you know, whatever people want to call it mm. in their organization, but agreements really that, you know, we're, we're, we're going to have conversations that may challenge us that we may not always agree with. Because I say to people, you don't have to always agree with somebody's viewpoint to respect it. And that is the key. And, and, and so to be able to, be open and vulnerable um, would be the first step. Then uh, link that in with the courage to ask the questions and for the information that you don't know, as well as the courage to be asked and therefore respond to questions that might be asked of you and your own identity, um, starts to then move that dial forward just for that couple of people or that team or that division very, very gently. and, and kindly, but with positive intention. And, um, you know, we know how important communication is in any area of business. And this really is no exception. It, it, these communications, they can't just be had in a classroom, a facilitated space, but actually think about ways that an organization can incorporate something to do with excuse me, diversity and inclusion into their team meetings, into a one-to-one with a, a manager and a team member, but but always with it framed at the outset, always with permission and always with respect and kindness and without judgment. That sounds like quite a big catalogue of things, but actually we can make it simple when all those parameters are put in place um, and, and there is buying an agreement from everybody to commit. Sure. I, I, I love the way you talked about um, vulnerability. I'm, a, I'm mm. a great believer in through vulnerability, you can build empathy. Yeah. Uh, when you've got empathy, you can start building conversations and the space becomes non-threatening. It becomes an open conversation, doesn't it? Absolutely. And, you know, this is why this is why I'm I um I, I'm so big on saying let's not have our opening gambit as an unconscious bias 
training session because what, what often happens is we're forcing people to um, to show their vulnerabilities. You know, you put them through an IAT, the implicit association test, for example, and there it is, their vulnerability laid bare. And they may not be ready for that just at that moment. And whereas I think, you know, when yeah, I, I don't know if you've used them yourself, Joe, probably, but, you know, when you have uh, questions that you ask, gentle but impactful questions around privilege various types of privilege um and 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 then the individual can reflect themselves on the privilege that they have or don't have um then what you're able to do is from a place of it, you're not saying oh you have biases or what you're saying is the society in which we live has without you requesting it, either worked to serve you and your identity or, or worked against you and your identity. And and so let's have that from a place of, um, you know, a springboard, if you like, to move forward from. And I think that that somehow, although the term privilege sounds like a horrid term, when we really look under the surface of what that means, the you know, privilege is having something that goes in your favor that you never asked for yeah that's that's what privilege means and and so uh, un- unlike the biases where we suggest that oh actually you know you should be working to overcome those biases and we know that can happen but instead to say well let's look at what society has or hasn't offered you and now let's use that from a place of springboard because when we're, we're starting then and I, I guess I'm trying to make it comf- a bit more comfortable for people. And, and others may argue with me and say, you know, well, no, if, if people are to be inclusive, they have to feel uncomfortable. But but again, I, I just don't think it's a great place to always open from. So so by, na- by being able to look at systemic, the systemic nature of what's in our society first, we can then look at, OK, and how have I misunderstood the lack of privilege that somebody, the person to the left or the person to the right of me may have experienced. And, 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 and that is without saying this person who's, um, you know, LGBT identifying as, or this person who's female or this person who's uses a wheelchair or whatever, but instead of those kind of cohorts, just simply as the person to the left of me and the person to the right of me, what have they what does their experience look like from society? And then we can start taking steps to look at individually what we can do. Does that make sense? It does. I, I picked up a couple of words there. I was writing them down. Um, relatability is is quite a key thing. Mm-hmm. And I, I I know myself, you know, I, I, I don't consider myself privileged, but I am privileged. That makes mm-hmm. sense. You know, you yeah. don't self-identify because you, you, we all swim in the same air and, and the air we breathe is our privilege and mm-hmm. we, we don't see it often. And there's an incident this week actually where my privilege was challenged mm-hmm. and it caught, it really knocked me. It really caused me to reflect. I mean, I, I was in a group. We're having a conversation about something and someone someone spoke about their perspective and and i i tri- i felt myself triggered by it and i thought wow my privilege has kicked in there and i felt really really uncomfortable yeah. and i i had to sort of self heal myself to think well okay let's work through this yeah. that that feeling i've just had is my trigger my privilege being triggered Absolutely. So I fully understand what it what it could feel like for a CEO, someone who's running a company, a mm-hmm. senior manager, to have someone challenge their privilege because they they're going to feel this uncomfortability that I, I felt certainly yeah. this week. And I, I, I 
I think we as educators, we've got to make sure we don't put people in that position without yeah. some support right. to help them through that. Uh, absolutely. And, you know, what you're describing is 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 absolutely natural. And, you know, like you, um, you know, I've had I have privilege in certain areas of my um, my identity and my lifestyle and my culture. Um, and I and I also fall foul. So I, I, I'm considered, I suppose, inferior on a privileged perspective in other areas. So this is that whole intersectionality coming in again and the fact that we are not just, you know, a thing, a label, um, but we're, we're so much more than that, so much more complex. So you're right. You know, I think um, a couple of the behaviours that I focus on, one would be understanding, and that's really understanding one another at a deeper level. Um, and, and there's more to it than that, but that's sort of in simple in simple terms. And then and, and another of the behaviours is education. And, you know, I mean that in terms of educating ourselves on, it, you know, what what does it mean to have or not have privilege? And, and the fact that I... Uh, as you mentioned yourself, and I've done it too, Joe, you know, um, I've responded in a defensive way, um, to almost, you know, protect my, myself and, uh, to, because I don't want to appear like a bad person for, in some way. Um, you know, that, that, that actually is also a thing. You know, it is known as a fragility response and, and it's quite normal and it's quite natural. Um, but, but to understand why we do it is really, more of a lack of understanding of what it means to what privilege actually means, because privilege doesn't necessarily mean that you were brought up in, um, you know, aff in affluence. It doesn't necessarily mean that at all. It could be part of the privilege uh, spectrum, if you like, but it certainly doesn't just mean that. And I've seen some really um, to be honest, slightly cringeworthy um, <laughs> posts and, and so on that have come out, you know, just in the wake of the, the George Floyd killing and the, the Black Lives Matter movement starting, uh, you know, uh, being dominant again on, on social, um, where people have said, you know, um, yeah, I don't have privilege either um, because I was born up in a, a poor family and so on. And 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 I'm realizing that the intention is positive, but the education is lacking as to what that really is. And so I think that you know, as educators, we not only should be talking more around this stuff and explaining in um, very respectful terms. And no one has to patronize in this. You know, we're all in this together, as it were. Um, but to explain clearly what it means and what it doesn't mean, but then also empower those people to self-educate. You know, I've just mentioned the, the book I'm re uh, I've read and, you know, you and I, and I know many others like us, invest in our own development constantly. Um, you know, we're, we're constantly learning. And, I, and I, I've always said this in any aspect of my work is that the day you think you know everything is just like a re the saddest day ever. There is so much always to learn. And, um, and so I, I think that inclusion is uh, another topic, like many others, that it needs some sort of gentle buy-in persuasion and some simplification on some of the things that we can do. But also it needs um, enough to be able to be gifted so that those people that we're working with can now feel empowered to take responsibility to learn more and 
and also act on that and make small changes. Again, I say those small steps that can really make a difference, not only to their own lives, but to those around them. Absolutely, for sure. Um, as you're talking now, I think about, we're talking about trying to practice relatability, trying to understand different people, checking our own privilege and being able to walk into the shoes of others. And I know many organizations um, that they bring in subject matter experts, they, uh, they host lunch and nerds and things, and they bring in people who maybe storytell, uh, maybe some personal experience or talk about their own characteristic. And I'm, I'm a great believer in storytelling as being a great source of education. But what I also sometimes challenge organizations is if they're not careful, they can be a bit tokenistic. They can also be a bit, um, I, I describe it as the greatest showman experience where you've got P.T. Barnum getting all the misfits into a room for the, for the benefit and entertainment of the privileged, you know, roll up, roll up, come and see the bearded lady, come and see the midget, come and see the person with three arms. And sometimes we've got to be careful that corporate um, best intentions don't end up feeling like this sort of like showcase of of difference. Mm. I think it's a great point. And, you know, I'm in two minds about this, actually, because I think, first of all, I totally agree with your storytelling. Um, what, What I think is is interesting is, um, you know, when we look at uh, organizations and C-suite roles and whatever, and, uh, and and especially now as you're getting more diversity and inclusion directors and, and you know, uh, global heads of D&I and so on and so forth, um, it's, it's interesting that, and I say this rarely, not, um, not never, rarely is this a, a white, straight, able-bodied man. Um, and... Uh, and I, I think that it, I don't know what am I trying to say here. I think there is an element of tokenism in that very nature to say, well, you know, it's D and I, so we need someone who's considered diverse, um, as you say, in the kind of roll up, roll up. Um, and it, when I think organisations get D and I people in or get speakers in to talk about inclusion. It, it is difficult because I think, all right, so if let's just say a, a white, straight, able-bodied man um, got up on stage to talk about the importance of diversity and inclusion, um, now, would there be anything wrong with that? Absolutely not. I'm sure that that individual could give just as much value um, because, of course, we don't know what's gone on in their life and their life experiences. So they could give just as much value. However, I think there are also going to be people in the audience who would judge that and would say, oh, OK, well, look at that then. The uh, the privileged white man, straight man, able-bodied man dictating to, to us about, you know, people who are very, very different. So I guess you're kind of damned if you do and damned if you don't, really. <laughs> I think um, I think what what is important is whomever is on your stage. And by the way, I'm quite happy to have uh, organizations bring somebody in that's got a difference because it kind of helps me as much as it helps a lot of us. But um, but what I think is the most important thing is that it just doesn't end there. And in the same way that if you you have um, somebody of an underrepresented group as your head of D&I, that that really isn't just your token uh, approach. And, and actually, there's something much more proactive going on under the surface um, to, to make sure that, you know, your rainbow logo um, one month every year has really got some substance underneath it. And I would say that about any other 
you know, campaign and so on. Um, that, that is the important thing. It's, it, it's more than what just happens on a stage or what happens in a classroom. It's, and it's everything as we know about what happens beyond that. Um, that, that's what I would say about that. It's a tough, it's a tough yeah. one. And I, and I hear you, um, in terms of the sort of, tokenistic feeling it can sometimes have um you know i i think it's true you know there, there are occasions where i think oh here we are you know the, the female lesbian talking about diversity and inclusion how, how apt and um you, you know so uh, but then on the other hand i do have an experience <laughs> in that field and you know we use our anecdotes in our stories don't we we use our personal experience mm-hmm. it's part of who we are and um, you know, I'm also, I'm a white woman. So, you know, I have, I have privilege of, of color, as it were, in the society that we live in. I am a woman. So I identify as a woman. So, you know, therefore, um, uh, I, I potentially have a, a, an inferiority in some parts of society. But, you know, we are just all a combination of our experiences, our culture, our upbringing mm. and so on. So, mm. This is the the paradox of DNI, isn't it? You yeah, know, we, totally. We're, 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 all, we're all there going, right, I don't want to be judged on the colour of my skin, what's between my legs, mm-hmm. um, my ability or lack of, of physical, you know, my disabilities, my, mm-hmm. my, my, my neurodiversity. I want to be accepted for who I am, the capability I can do. Mm-hmm. Then in walks a white guy and stands on stage, and then everybody's judging him mm-hmm. on the color of his skin, his gender, and what does he know? So it's, it's, it's this paradox, isn't it? We, we, we want to have this, this right to be not to be judged ourselves, yet we, we're the first to maybe jump out and say, what do they know? And I, I yeah, it is tricky. And I, I know it, it, sometimes it's, a, it's more about um, being seen to be doing the right thing. It's almost like this mm. political statement rather than a yeah. necessity statement. And I, I, I was on a call this week and someone banded out this, this tired, sad trope, mm. white male pale and stale, which yeah. I find personally offensive. And I'm, I'm sure you do too. Yeah, do. But again, what, what we were then, what this person was then doing was, was effectively demonizing white men. Mm. In the DNI space, mm. but not knowing what they're talking about, I, and I thought, and I called it out, and I said, Look, I'm, "I'm not prepared to be on a call with that language that can be used. It's, it's not not my, my kind of thing." But what we end, what, we, what we've got to be careful of here is we don't end up creating our little echo chambers oh. where we, we we believe we use our own bias to say my opinion must be the only opinion. Nobody else can know as much as I do, which is a bias. Absolutely, absolutely, and, and I think you're right in the whole um, you know white male um, area. You know, discrimination is still discrimination. Bias is still bias, and you know, I think we do have to be careful. I've been saying this for a while. We've got to be really careful that we don't. Um, uh, discriminate against another group to give opportunities mm. to, uh, you know, to, to, to a, a different group. You know, everybody has value and everybody's value should be appreciated. And hence, again, why um, I really, um, uh, I, I really promote the behavior side of things because, you know, this is basically saying regardless of who we are in terms of our physical or, um, you know, any, any other sort of expression of our identity, um, we, we all understand what it means to demonstrate certain behaviors. And, and that actually it, it crosses borders and it crosses boundaries of identity as well. And so that's why it can be so effective because we're almost, 
we are the first to say we don't like labels and yet constantly we're labeling 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 and and so this just removes that once again it, it, and and all i would say is you know fellow human being and and for a fellow human being i'm going to take steps to learn about them be vulnerable with them be courageous with them um and and so on and so on to to really dig deeper into that relationship and the influence of that individual's and my own identity in our relationship. And as we understand one another better, just as individual human beings, then we have a, a mutual platform to to work from. And 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 that doesn't need any label, does it? Um, that, that's what I see as, you know, that is just pure relationship building, communication. And to be honest with you, love between one human being and another. Um, that's really what I think inclusion boils down to is just a, a, a love of our fellow human beings. Nicely said. Well, put. Um, I agree. I, I think what you're saying there is we all can take personal responsibility mm. and accountability for being the one who can make a difference. And by being, making a difference through love, through empathy, by having our own vulnerability, mm. being slow to judge, quick right. to empathize. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I think, you know, for in, inclusion can be hard for people because it does take an element of self-reflection, um, self-evaluation and, and, and sometimes a bit like the, you know, the bias conversation, it, it, it's not always, um, comfortable what we see, um, when we look in the mirror, as it were. But, I, I, I think that once we acknowledge that regardless of how we identify, we will all have that, um, uh, that kind of balanced reflection, if you like. So there will be, there's, there's good in everybody. I really believe that, you know, so there's, mm. there's, there's, there's good in everybody, but there'll also be something that feels uncomfortable to look at. And we will all have that. You, you, you don't have to only be a certain type of person to, to see that. Um, and, and once we recognize that, um, then we can take steps to understand it. And, and that's where the, the bias piece can be helpful, you know, sort of going full circle to where we started. It can be helpful. But as I say, I think we have to kind of frame things um, uh, from a, a kind of a kinder or positive place to begin with on that journey to, to prepare people for the potential discomfort that will follow. But knowing that when they put themselves through that, they'll come out stronger and more educated and more compassionate at the other end. Awesome. Mm. Right. Just as a final note, mm. what do you want to leave the listeners with? What's your thought for the future that you want to leave everyone with today? Oh, gosh. I just, I long for the day when I'm out of work, Joe. I'm long for the day that DNI is not a thing. Um, and, you know, I mean, you've heard me talk about belonging as well, you know, that, that, we all have an innate need to feel as though we belong and that our, our contribution to the world matters and that we're valued for who we are. And, and, and I, 
I almost can visualize how that would be in the world. And, um, you know, whereas we all, I, I was speaking to someone the other day and I said, you know, I'd love to have like a, a superhero power of love glasses where, you know, we literally all saw that first thing we saw when we looked at another human being was love. And, and we start from a place of love. Um, and, 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 and then, yeah, diversity and inclusion training isn't required. Um, you know, it's more about developing and deepening that understanding and bonds with our fellow human beings rather than actually having to label it as something. And, and maybe that does link to a, a sort of final word for businesses. And that would be, um, don't necessarily think you have to call any kind of DIB, you know, what, you know, diversity, inclusion, belonging, intervention, diversity and inclusion. It, it, you may find that actually by calling it something different, um, you know, some form of journey that embeds within your culture as an organization, um, will, will help keep keep people focused on the positives as opposed to necessarily worrying about our differences. Um, and yeah, that's, that's kind of what I would leave with. Fantastic. So the vision is DNI specialists will be out of a job because right. it's embedded into the business and we just do it because it's the way we are. Absolutely. Fantastic. What, a, what a, what a vision for the future. Yeah. Well, thank you, Jackie. That's uh, you. been amazing. I've, I've loved your insights and I'm sure everyone who's listening will have much to ponder and take inspiration from. So how can our listeners get in touch with you? Oh, thank you, Joe. And it's been a pleasure talking with you as well. Um, so my website is um, www dot jackiehandy.com nice and simple um i'm also on linkedin um that you'll find me as jackie handy firp on there um those are probably the the, the best channels to uh, find me on and um if i if i'm allowed to say just one more thing i've literally just put Don't together <laughs> literally just put together a little book which is called the little book of belonging um, and it's um, it's a kind of weekly guide to inclusive behaviours and reflections for people. And that can be found on my website as well. So uh, that's the little book of belonging. I've seen you advertise that and promote it on Facebook and LinkedIn. It looks really, really good. The spiral ring bounder and everything, isn't it? Yeah, that's it's, it's it. Really yeah, good. it literally just sits on your desk. So it's a desktop book. Yeah. And just so that listeners are, are, I've got it, Jackie is J-A-C-K-I-E, isn't it? That's yes, right. It is. Yeah. And handy as in useful, as I've been saying my whole life. Yeah. So <laughs> grown. <laughs> but yeah, that's correct. Well, th thank you so much. Well, a huge thank you, both Jackie and you, the listener, for tuning in and sticking it out to the end. Please do subscribe to keep updated on all the future episodes of the Inclusion Bites podcast. That's B-I-T-E-S. Please tell your friends. Please tell your colleagues. I have a number of exciting guests lined up that I'm sure you'll be inspired by over the next few weeks and months. Remember, if you'd like to be a guest, then do let me know. I'd also welcome any feedback and suggestions you might have to joe.lockwood at cchangehappen.co.uk uh, how I can improve future shows. So my name is Joanne Lockwood. And it has been an absolute pleasure to host this podcast for you today. Catch you next time. Bye.